You're listening to the Lean Six Sigma for Good podcast. We help you learn how Lean and Six Sigma concepts can be applied to nonprofits, NGOs, and not-for-profit organizations. Visit us at LeanSixSigmaForGood.com. In this podcast, I talk with Hugh Alley. He is industrial engineer and Toyota Kata expert. I met Hugh through the Kata School Cascadia, which is a weekly networking group led by Toyota Kata coaches Tracy Defoe, Mark Rosenthal, and Hal Fraurich. During one of the sessions, the term Kata Lab was mentioned, so I wanted to ask him about how he applied Kata Lab to a nonprofit food bank in Vancouver, British Columbia. In this podcast, we talk about a lot of different topics, including what is Toyota Kata, the format for a two-day Kata Lab, how he was able to double the output of food produced at the food bank with half the people and half the space, and how they applied it to a medical lab, reducing the wait time for patients by 50% in 13 weeks without spending money or adding people. He also talks about his book, Becoming the Supervisor, and the five core skills that are required or necessary to make for a good supervisor or frontline leader. I also connected with one of the people Hugh mentioned, Jean-Marc Legentil, who was also one of the co-authors of the Toyota Kata Memory Jogger. He offered to help anyone looking to run a Kata lab by reaching out to him, and I've got his link in the show notes. They're also offering a workshop in late January 2022 up in Montreal if you'd like to attend and participate. You can go to katalab.ca to learn more. I've got lots of links to organizations, books, and contacts in the show notes that you'll hear about during the podcast. And if you end up setting up or running a Kata Lab, please let me know. I'd like to hear how it goes. You can also watch a video of this podcast on our YouTube channel. In the video, I insert a graphic of the four Toyota Kata steps as Hugh was going through and explaining them. Hope you enjoy this one. Thanks for listening. So my guest today is Hugh Alley. Um, Hugh, welcome to the podcast. Um, can you give us a little bit of background on your process improvement experience? Hi, Brian. I'm excited to be with you today. Uh, yeah, I'd be happy to do that. Uh, in some level, I've been doing process improvement since I got out of school. Uh, I remember working in a mine where the just was always asking questions about, could we do it differently? And uh, those questions, even early on, you know, naive as I was, kept surfacing savings. So that was encouraging. And uh, I've just continued to uh, develop my skills and, and experiences you know, with the industrial engineering that you know, I started with. And uh, it's moved on from there. And I've moved back and forth between be, running a number of different troubled uh, manufacturing facilities with their associated warehouses and distribution. And uh, there I had the practical problem of responsibility for making things better. Uh, and then I've also done a bunch of consulting work uh, where I've been helping other people with that same set of challenges. So it's been a wonderful career for 30 plus years now. <laughs> and you're based out of Vancouver, BC? Yeah, a suburb of Vancouver in Canada. Yeah. And have you always lived in Canada? Uh, yeah, I was. I grew up. Well, not always. I grew up in Toronto. Uh, did my engineering studies at Waterloo, uh, but then I did a master's degree at Cornell. So I spent two years living in upstate New York, 
which was a wonderful experience, uh, and then moved back to Canada and have lived here ever since. Uh, although my work has taken me into the States frequently and occasionally around the world. Great. So, yeah, tell us a little bit more about how you got into lean and, and other parts of, I know your IE background, there's a lot of that is discussed and taught through that program and probably through your own experiences working, picked up some stuff, but did you get any kind of coaching or mentoring on some of these methods and maybe even specifically when you learned about Kata? So, uh, I, I'm one of the people that learns really well by reading. It's just my, one of my favorite ways to take in new information. And so a lot of what I've learned was a, re, a response to client requirements when I was consulting or my own particular needs uh, when I was running plants. And so... Uh, I think about some of the early books I read about, uh, you know, and, and they're the classics, The Machine That Changed the World uh, by Womack and Jones, and uh, a book on uh, cell, man, cell manufacturing design, Shigo uh, 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 Shingo's book on SMED. Uh, those were all things that clients had a need and I was looking for solutions that would be more efficient than than just floundering. So very much just in time learning. Very much <laughs> just in time. Yes. And you know I'm, I made a bunch of mistakes along the way too. You know, I look look back at some of those projects and I think, hmm, could have done that better. But you know that's that at at some level those lessons stick with you much better than the ones where somebody told you what to do, but you never made any mistakes. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's uh, how we learn. We have to it force is. to deal with uh, the failure or the, the something that didn't go as well as we'd like and makes well, us really like think I, back. I, What I love is, is, is the way Kata, uh, the, the Kata practitioners talk about it. It's not that it was a failure, it was that the outcome wasn't what we expected. And so that gives us an opportunity to reflect on, well, what is it we didn't understand about the system that meant our expectations didn't match what happened? And what can we learn from that? And, and it's that process of positing, proposing how you think it will play out and then looking carefully at how it does and looking at the discrepancy. So when did you start to learn kind of that kata method and then any other details you want to provide on kind of that info for those who are new to this kata sure. practice? So so when I think about um, the Toyota kata and I I, I I debate whether we can just use the word kata alone as a standalone because the 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 people who practice martial arts they're doing kata too as they learn their set pieces to you know if you've seen the the movie karate kid you know the wax on wax off and he's teaching the guy patterns that he will learn um, those are kata as well 
but they're the martial arts katas. So, uh, you know, Rother coined the term Toyota kata as a way of saying, well, this is the mindset patterns that we're observing there. This is maybe how we can teach them. Uh, but I got first exposed to it around 2016. And uh, shortly after that, I had a very funny experience where I walked into a medical lab to get some blood work done. And the process was just so horrendous. And I watched people wasting time and just, it was silliness. Um, so I wrote to the chief operating officer of the company and said, you got a problem here. Uh, do you want to work on it? And he took me up on it. And it was like, oh, okay. Now what do I do? <laughs> and so I learned very quickly, okay, well, there's this pattern of how to coach it, how to create these small experiments and how to track what you're doing on a storyboard. So you keep track of it. Uh, and that was my first exposure to it. It was just, you know, I was a bit dumb and naive and, and willing to make a mistake or two uh, and just launched. Um, but the results were remarkable. In 13 weeks, we reduced the patient waiting time at this lab by 50% uh, without having spent any money or added people. <laughs> and uh, just a series of experiments, one after the other. It was fabulous for the team as they watched these experiments happening. We'd see the results. You know, we'd try an experiment, and one time the results were so obvious after half a day, we said, stop, we'll go back. And because it was an experiment, it was easy to go back. These guys were so excited about what they were doing. I remember about halfway through that process, a couple of guys were... Uh, one of the guys was really excited about what we'd just done the day before. And he said, well, this is how everyone at Life Labs should do it. I can talk about the name. It, it, they, they know I talk about the company and uh, they've given me permission, so it's okay. Um, and the, there's another player, a team member who said, no, no, we've only got one day of data. We don't know if it's gonna hold up for a whole operating pattern of a week. And I thought, we've got there. They understand the pro that, that the data can help them analyze it. And uh, so that was, to me, it was both my first foray, but it was such, so reinforced that how important uh, their participation in the projects were. So what was the duration of how often were you doing the cycles? Was that like a daily thing or was so We it were doing cycles daily. Uh, and because they had a weekly pattern of patient arrival, the experiment periods were a week and that we would gather the data. But every, every day we would say, well, what did we learn from yesterday? What obstacles did we see in the operating pattern that we're trying? So we had a really good learning each day and it reminded them what they were focused on. What I like, I think a lot about this approach is I feel, you know, there's always that desire to go and do something. And then, but without knowing 
methodically how they're going to do that. I think a lot of places just kind of guess at solutions and then they throw out these big solutions that they're going to go do. And I think what Toyota Kata provides is like gets us started, but in small increments that are low risk and it moves us in that direction. And so I think it, it satisfies kind of the urgency of doing something and getting going without the launching to this very large solution that we have really no idea yes. if that's going to work. Yeah, as uh, one of my good friends puts it, the, uh, the, these experiments keep the blast radius very small. Um, I like that. But it's interesting, you know, one of the things about the, the pattern of experimentation that's in the Toyota Kata um, and it's a four-step process. And the step one is to, to understand the challenge. You know, what are you really trying to get done here? Second is understand, grasp the current condition. So how is the, the, the system actually functioning now? What's the operating pattern? Not just what's the average, but how does it fluctuate day to day or hour to hour? And do things come in runs or do they come nicely spaced out or uh, all those kinds of things? Because, you know, if you have an arrival pattern of one every seven minutes, that's very different, you know, over the course of the day, that's very different than having uh, 400 arrive at eight o'clock in the morning at the start of your shift. And it imposes different requirements. So you need to understand that stuff. Grasping the current condition, which is step two, takes some time. And you were talking about how the Toyota Kata gives some room for people who have this urgency for action. I find when I'm coaching it, we actually have to hold people back to say, but do you really understand the system? What about the variation? What do you, how, how much does it vary every day? Your average is uh, two pallets a day. But what's the maximum? Do you ever have one where you have 30 pallets arrive? Oh, yeah. Oh, well, that really changes the complexion of what does this facility need to do? Uh, that's, that's on my mind because I'm helping a client right now uh, solve a, a warehouse design problem with exactly that kind of variation understanding that current condition at the front end, so important to do and to do well enough that you can then make a prediction that will matter to someone, you know, that, that actually has a hope of being right as opposed to just a dart throw. And so is that uh, going into the third step of the cutout? So, so third step takes you to setting the target condition so the nature of the Toyota Kata says, we've got this challenge out here. This is the big objective that we're trying to do. Uh, and then, but we're not gonna get there right away. So the, the challenge might be a six month to three year kind of picture, depending on how big your organization is and how mature it is in using this model. Um, so it might be far away and I'm doing, dealing with one client right now. And our first challenge was, we set a 10 week limit. That's the, the horizon. And so we've been dealing with target conditions that are a week away. 
how are we going to operate in a week from now that will be different and better and what should we see so step three is to set the target condition what's the next little piece we're trying to get at you know we tried uh one place we were we wanted to see the the perform primary performance indicator increase by 75 feet a day i know that one of the things we're going to work be working on somewhere down the road before this 10 weeks is over is how can we reduce the variation from day to day because right now it's really extreme what we'd like to do is is just get it really down so it's a really steady stable production that maybe only varies 40 or 50 feet a day instead of 150 or 200. everybody's life will be easier when that's happening but that's down the road as part of the bigger picture today's challenge is just can we get the average up so so you do that and then step four is the actual experiment towards the target and address the obstacles as you go and the trick to understanding that i think is to realize that you're experimenting on how to overcome obstacles. So it's not experimenting to reach the target condition. You're saying, here's the target condition. And these are the obstacles we think are preventing that target from happening. And what we need to do now is experiment how we're going to get rid of those obstacles or overcome them and it changes what you're trying to do because now you can actually say well wait a minute the uh, the obstacle is that i don't actually know what my yield is from this raw material i can't predict the the, the yield from the raw material oh okay so how we overcome that let's go find some data discover what the yield is. Uh, now we know what our yield is, so now we know how much supply we need to have. And, and that helps. Uh, now we know how much every day we gotta have this much supply. So maybe that's our next obstacle is how do we make that happen? So if someone was going to like run a marathon, that might be their challenge. And yep. then they're gonna assess where they're at today and what their ability is and then set a target that says maybe i'm going to run a mile as a or, target condition or maybe it's that i am going because my history so far is i i don't run at all i'm going to every day put my running shoes on right it might be that small yep. that my target is my pattern is i'm going to be dressed and ready to run every day i'm not and and then maybe the next target condition is i'm going to run for five minutes whatever that is because you need to be able to somehow get to that target condition from where you are if my target condition is to run a mile you that may be too big a step from where you are now yeah and one yeah. of the things i think if you talk to coach the, the Toyota Kata coaches that I know, I think a consistent thread is that we keep needing to dial back. Don't try and make it such a big bite. Uh, just 
little steps because those you can see how you're doing it's easier to see the obstacles and it's not such a big deal if you don't get there you know um vj fogg who's uh got that book about habits comments that the issue is not the size of the step it's that you do it every day and get that reward for doing it it's the consistency and that consistency of reward so toyota kata kind of works on the same principle if you like this topic please check out lean six sigma for good lessons from the gemba volume one is released and available through amazon we will soon have an audible version coming out early in 2020 and we're working on volume two as we speak Volume 1 has eight chapters written by different authors who share their experiences applying Lean and Six Sigma to not-for-profit organizations. I think it's Tiny Habits. Is that the oh, one? is it? Yeah. It, yeah, I think really so. good. Yeah, I, I like he also tied it to like what something you're already doing. Can you link a behavior exactly. or a change into something existing that kind of triggers a when I do this, now I'm going to follow and add my new behavior change onto something I've already done. So that's exactly. Yeah, there's actually a lot of the behavior change piece that as I've gotten into improvement work, that is really important. You know, it's you could have all the right data and evidence and support, but sometimes at the end of the day, you have to just get people to try something different. And that yeah. can be very challenging. And there's yeah. a lot of reasons not to change or want to change. So yeah, yeah I think making it well, very the, small the, is nice. It helps. Yeah. And then, then there are cases like the Montreal Food Bank that uh, Sylvain and Jean-Marc and Marc-Olivier uh, were helping uh, where it was, there was an overwhelming immediate need to change because they got you know, slammed with COVID and all of a sudden, the number of volunteers they had plummeted. So this, and, and, and you were asking about this at the start. Um, so the, uh, the, the three of them worked with the food bank there uh, on some processing stuff to say, how can we actually achieve the, the production that they need with half the number of volunteers and that was the big challenge and so they actually had to work on it very quickly uh, because the people were still hungry it was primarily sylvain uh, who's the thinker you know he's the professor of the three um, and who kind of came up with this design for a, a a catalab, as he called it, um, which they've run now seven times. Uh, and each time they, they, they go through this two days uh, and achieve really some remarkable improvements. With the food bank? With they, it, It's all been with the food bank uh, in Montreal. Great. And then uh, in the summer, uh, because I, I had chat, met Jean-Marc at a catacon, at one of the conferences a couple of years ago. Uh, this is Jean-Marc Legenti with Bell Nordic Consulting. And he, we were chatting after his presentation and I said, it'd be really neat to try and do that with a food bank out here in BC. 
And he said, oh, give me a call when you get an opportunity. And so uh, I've been working with the, the, the Nanaimo Food Bank, Loaves and Dishes, uh, on design for their new facility. I thought we could improve some of these processes, which will let them take less space, which when you're building space at 400 bucks a square foot, that's a big deal. <laughs> and um, I, I proposed to them that we run Catalab and, and try it out. So they went for it. So we had uh, Jean, Jean-Marc Legenti and Marc-Olivier Legenti come out uh, and they facilitated uh, the, the two days. Um, and we were able to, in that two days, we were able to increase the, the so they do a lot of sorting of produce because they do a lot of food recovery from grocery stores. Uh, and they had been, they'd been processing about 13 bins of food an hour with a team of four. And they now can produce 30 bins of food with a team of two, which is just amazing improvement. Yeah, wow. In less space. And how long, so this is over the two, after the two days? It's, or a, it's a two day process. So that the first morning is an introduction to the Toyota Kata thinking process. Uh, and they use uh, the picture puzzles uh, that are a common thing. If you go to, if you Google Kata in the classroom, you can see an image of the puzzle that they use. But oh, there are other ways that. to do that. Um, uh, for your listeners that aren't familiar with it, you can do something similar with a card sort program. Uh, but there are lots of ways you can you can just give people a simple way to learn the, the pattern of thinking. And so that's the morning of day one. And then day two, or the, the afternoon of day one, they go out and uh, the participants go out and discover the current condition. So how is, how is it currently happening? Uh, and so in this case, we, the participants were actually doing some of the food sorting for the day and bring in the bins, bring in the pallets and have at her guys and ladies and gents and go for it uh, and discover what you're actually doing and what's actually happening. Um, so we did a couple of rounds of that of exploration there. And then the morning of day two, uh, we did three rounds of experiments to try and uh, improve things. So we'd process for half an hour and then we'd do the reflection and, and, and analysis, analysis and reflection. And what's our next experiment gonna be? In that process, we were able to simplify some rules, simplify some procedures, and uh, reduce reaches significantly, uh, all of which made it way easier for people to do their work. And then the afternoon of day two is spent uh, talking about the coaching process within the Toyota Kata. Because within Toyota Kata, there is the improvement cycle, which I've described in the four stages, but there's also a, a complementary coaching cycle for the coaches to use to help the learner 
reflect on what they've seen. And so we were introducing that cycle as well. And so that's the two days. It's very full, but very rewarding. Yeah, I think that's a great way to make it very hands-on and very practical to the actual learning. And, you know, it's yes. like you're not overwhelming them with 50 lean tools that they could apply, like Kanban or value stream mapping or anything like that. It's just keeping it simple to what's the next obstacle and work through that. Um, yeah, yeah, because the what happens is that if people get themselves in a situation where the tools, you know, a specific tool would be really helpful, then a good coach can actually ask the question, so do you think anyone has run into this problem before? You know, is there another way, you know, you need to learn something, what do you need to learn? Well, how else might people have learned to do this? Is it, you know, do you need to do some research? Uh, sometimes the experiment the, is not so much a physical experiment as a, a step to go and try and learn something because we don't know. Which actually goes back to how you learn kind of on just in time exactly. with, okay, now I'm stuck. What approach or technique can I use that will get me unstuck from this particular problem? So. Yep very yeah. efficient way to to learn too and then it's hands-on application where you're really going to learn the details exactly and you know what happens is you learn the details for that particular situation but after you've done a few hundred cycles you've now started to see these patterns come up again and you say oh yeah that looked like what i did two months ago and so you start to recognize the the this, the places where that's needed. Um, and what that does is just speeds up the whole experimenting process. So if, if you get somebody who's well experienced in the Terracotta and also is a, is a good understanding of the library of lean tools, uh, they can experiment very fast because they, they can be very efficient about knowing, oh, in this context, I don't need to invent a Kanban system, I can, I know there's a library of Kanban approaches out there. I can just go pick one that is, all I need to do is select the most useful one rather than invent it. So. That's great. So for you in particular with the Vancouver Food Bank, is there plans to do any other Kata Labs or are you looking to work with any other nonprofits or groups? Yeah, so, um, Absolutely. The food bank I was working with was the Nanaimo Food Bank. They have a great empties program where the return model return for, for a deposit. Uh, I know that's not common across North America, but in British Columbia, it's a big deal. Uh, it's a good revenue source for them, uh, but it's taking a lot of volunteer time to do the sorting. And so they want to see about, can they figure out a way to do that more efficiently? Um, and I've been talking with a couple of other food banks uh, about doing a cattle lab kind of thing. And I'm now uh, talking to the to food banks BC, and it looks like um, Peter Sinclair, who's the executive director at Nanaimo Food Bank, and I are going to be doing a presentation about this 
at their conference next spring. So that should be fun. Happy to work with any food bank that wants to, to play in that environment. Yeah, and I think that's what was really intriguing to me, just as I heard about the Kata Lab and, and thinking through some of the work I've done in the past with some nonprofits too, and thinking that this approach could really be a way to get things rolling and getting some quick wins and some, yeah. I think really important part is that you're leaving them with a skill set that can be replicated easily and they can continue that. And I think we've struggled with other approaches to take to get them going and to make it last that they're not dependent on us so much right in the beginning, yeah. which is hard to be there to help them when they need the help. Well, exactly. And and they're not for profit, so they don't have unlimited funds to pay for coaches. So um, once they can get that scientific mindset, that whole thing of, you know, what's current condition? What are we trying to do? What's that next little step? And what are the obstacles and how can we experiment against those? Uh, that, that meta skill is so powerful. Uh, I, I know uh, Jean-Marc Le Gentil and, and, and Marc Olivier have um, used that same model with a, a, a thrift store in Montreal where they're dealing with large volumes of clothing. And it's, you know, how do you sort the clothing and get it onto a rack and get it priced and sold and dealing with the volunteers who say, but, but this is worth $700 in the boutique store. And you know, it's like at the food bank, you know, the, the volunteers were, you know, bless them. They, they'd look at a dragon fruit and say, you know, this is $7 in the grocery store. We should spend time on it. The, the food bank folks are saying, you know what? The people that come to the depots, none of them are interested in dragon fruit. They don't know what to do with it. They've never seen it. Don't spend time on it. And it's really hard for them to get past that. So having that big picture challenge in mind of what are you trying to do and why really helps. I've had those same discussions with people who are doing reuse and it's, we can salvage this. We can do something with this. I don't want to throw it away. I don't even want to recycle it. I want it to be sold again and reused. And it's just like this, we can't spend the effort and the value's not there to justify that when we have all this other better usable, easier to process material, whether it's a laptop yes. or um, a window or a door, these things yep. can fly through our systems much faster and we can't salvage everything as much as we love to. And you're right, it's the passions there and you hate to say no, but it's also like, this organization survives and thrives when we can deliver the core things efficient, efficiently. Yep. And, and when you have people who have that mindset, what they don't see often is how it clogs their systems. You know, I, I remember working with a client and, and they had five pallet racks full of offcuts that had been accumulating for years, right? Nobody, when they actually had an order, nobody went to the wall to see what was in the off-cut bin because it was too difficult. 
but we might use it someday. I had a supervisor who worked for me one time and he had he had uh, threaded rod, pieces of threaded rod about this long and the threads had been stripped. And he was saying, well, one day we could run it through the pipe threader, the, the threader again and, and make them good. And I'm thinking it's 20 cents of steel and it's occupying space. It doesn't work. Anyway, and, and, and I think there are probably a very large number of wannabe home hobbyists who have their workbench unfortunately like mine that has too many things that i might use someday <laughs> my mother has a, a large number of scrap um sewing material and yes and, and so um when we went through and kind of helped organize her sewing room it was uh had to admit that you're probably not going to use that little section after all um it's scrap and you're it's not gonna beautiful yeah. but... <laughs> <laughs> it's taking up a lot of space in your room and it's cluttering and it's making it hard for you to get to the other projects you want to get to so it's gotta find a different home yep but yeah that is tough very tough so um you also have a book that came out i think last year i i do yes Can you talk um, a little bit about the book sure and so becoming the supervisor and uh, it is really about how a manager can develop their supervisors to get them the core skills that they need. They're really, uh, when I think about it, there are five core skills that every supervisor needs. They need to be able to instruct, they need to be able to improve, to set priorities, they need to be able to uh, foster performance, and they need to be able to listen. But you can't just sort of put people in the classroom and have them learn that. And so the book uses a story to tell how one general manager used the common events of a manufacturing plant to teach her young supervisor the skills he needed. So very readable because it's told as a story. Uh, and I think, it should be encouraging both to young supervisors to see that they are learnable skills and to the managers of those people uh, who can all of a sudden see, well, wait a minute, I don't need to run a six-week program. I can just coach them through the real problems that they have today because somebody quit. Gosh, now I need a training plan. How would we do that? And so now we get them into learning about how to instruct. And Where's so the best place for someone to get that book? You can order it from any bookseller. The website for my book is becomingthesupervisor.com. It's got links to a few different booksellers, but people like Amazon or people like, you know, they can go to uh, Routledge, which is the publisher. They'll ship them to them. Lots of people wherever. Okay, great. I'll put all these links. Yeah. I've got some book links. I've got some food bank links. Um, yeah, anything else you think of that might be helpful for people, I'll put in the notes for this episode. Okay. And yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to share or discuss? Oh, this I just, excellent. it's just so much fun watching people discover 
that they can make a difference too. Uh, and that they really can take small steps and have it, have it make a difference to the people on their team. Uh, and that, that's really fun to watch. Yeah, and I think getting it out of the hands of improvement specialists or engineers and saying yeah. everyone in the organization has this ability, just needs a little coaching to get started. Well, yeah, because if, if, if the only people that do it are the experts, then it's not gonna get done most of the time. I, I think that having the scientific mindset that, that supports continuous improvement uh, far more valuable to an organization than having a continuous improvement specialist. Well, great. Thank you so much, you. I uh, really appreciate your time. This is really valuable info, and um, I think I'll get a lot of uh, listens and, and views. So it's been that. my pleasure, Brian. It's been a fun conversation. Okay. Hope to maybe run into you soon at maybe a conference, maybe Katakon someday. That would be that would be great. I look forward to that. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Want to better organize your work area or bring 5S methods into your organization? Check out the 5S guide from Creative Safety Supply. You also get three free bonuses. Bonus number one, free 5S poster. Bonus number two, free 5S PowerPoint. And bonus number three, free 5S audit card. Go to leansixsigmaforgood.com slash 5S for the free downloads. They also provide floor tape markings, labels, signs, foam tool organizers, red tags, label printers, and other organization tools. Make sure you use code BPI at checkout to save 10%.